Hey fam, just wanted to remind everyone that October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. And in recognition of that, I have a member of my tribe today who was bold and brave enough to share her story with us. Tam Tam, as we call her, was diagnosed with breast cancer a little more than a year ago. And now she is ready to step into the light and talk about her experience. I hope that what she says inspires those of you who are going through it right now. We want you to know that we're praying for you. And I hope that it will inspire others who've been putting off that mammogram to get that appointment done today. Hello, hello, and welcome to In My Shoes. It is a podcast for women of color where we talk about issues we face each and every day. And I am your host, Karen Davis Thompson. Hope everybody's doing well today. I have an exciting guest. I'm always excited when I bring my tribe on and I have Tam with me today. We are going to be having a very important conversation. So I'm going to let her introduce herself and we will get going. Hey girl. Hey. Hey girl. Um, Hi everyone. I'm Tamara Burks, known to my girlfriend tribe as Tam. Um, As we have stated previously, I'm a diversity professional Um, have been doing this type of work for a little over seven years now, and I'm excited to again be here with my sister friend, Karen, um, to talk about this very important topic. Thank you for that. So we call each other sisters. We met um, doing Zumba, and it's a group of us, and so we're sisters with a Z. Um, And I wanted her to be my guest today because October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month, and Tam was diagnosed. How long ago has it been now? It's been a little over a year. Um, yeah. Wow. <laughs> what a I year. I know, right? <laughs> I started to say, gosh, it's been a year already. But I know for you, it's like, girl, you think it's, hey, I've been living every day of it. Um, so that's what I wanted to talk to you about today. Um, just how you found out, how you've been dealing with it, what you've learned, what advice you would give, that sort of thing. So let's start from the top. How did you detect the lump? Was it a routine mammogram? Was it something that you discovered? So unfortunately, I hadn't been doing routine mammograms. I had been seeing, I'd go to my gynecologist yearly who would write me the script, and I would always find some sort of excuse why I just couldn't go to get my mammogram, or I'd lose the script and it would be out of sight, out of mind. Um, I did recently start having some just in general problems, female problems. I had... um, a a number of tumors in my uterus um, and at the time had that taken care of, had had surgery and my gynecologist had said, you know, have you gone and done your mammogram? And I'm like, no. And he's like, why not? And I, the other thing is I have a family history. My mother has been diagnosed twice with breast cancer. So there was really no excuse except for me just being lazy and not thinking that it, that it could happen to me. Um, So in 2020, I felt a lump, um, but the lump would grow in size and I would, you know, I'd feel it sometimes and not feel it other times and just thought it was part of my menstrual cycle. Again, it didn't set off any alarms for me. Um, And in September, I was getting ready to transition from one job to another, decided, let me go ahead and max out my benefits at my old job before I start my new job. And I had some time and I did feel the lump, um, you know, and went to the gynecologist. They felt the lump, but they didn't alert, you know, they didn't sound the alarm or anything. And they just gave me a script to go and have a mammogram. Um, I'm blessed and fortunate that there is a place down the street from where I live currently that was able to get me in relatively quickly for a mammogram. Um, so on September 17th, I went for my mammogram. 
the mammogram turned into having an ultrasound. And as I'm sitting there waiting, um, the funny thing is I'm talking to my new job. The recruiter is checking in on me. I'm just, you know, kind of oblivious to what may be going on that I'm sitting there a little bit longer than maybe I should be. And I was called into a room where the radiologist came in and said, you have cancer. And I do um, biopsies at the hospital on Thursdays and Fridays. So let's see if we can get you in. That was a Wednesday. Um, so now I am in panic mode um, for numerous reasons. I'm being told I have cancer. I'm thinking about all of the things I have planned in front of me um, and just couldn't really comprehend that now everything's kind of moving very quickly. Um, had my biopsy that Thursday. So the next day I was able to get in to have the biopsy um, and wait it. And the results came through the portal um, to my general practitioner on Saturday. And Saturday, it was just, it was confirmed definitively I have cancer, but had already also had appointments scheduled to meet with the surgeon on Monday or no, on Tuesday and the oncologist um, that same day as well. So it was kind of a whirlwind. And, you know, I, I had a similar experience and people always say, oh, no, they don't tell you anything the day of. They, they call and I'm like, I'm telling y'all, I had a mammogram um, after my doctor thought he felt a lump. He sent me to an oncologist who said, you know, your, 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 you know, breast tissue is very dense, you know, fibrocystic disease. Like it sounds like a thing, but it's just like, you know, fibrous breasts, whatever. So I go in, I have the ultrasound after the mammogram and the radiologist comes in and says, oh, we're, we don't think it's anything, but we want to do a biopsy just to be safe. And people were like, oh, that doesn't happen. And I'm like, yeah, that's how it happened. Um, and so it sounds like it was, obviously it was similar for you. Um, mm -hmm. And so you're sitting there by yourself and what goes through your mind? It's not like a, hey, we need you to come in and, you know, you sit down and have a conversation. It's like, boom, you have cancer. What was that like? I was in panic mode. I couldn't stop crying. Um, they connected me with a patient liaison specialist for breast cancer. And she let me just sit there and cry. Um, we were video chatting um, at the radiologist <laughs> office. And, you know, she was walking me through what, what the next steps were going to be. Um, also what's going through my mind, which sounds stupid and crazy, not just that I have cancer, but I'm supposed to start a new job in a week. I'm thinking about buying a house. How am I going to be able to start this new job? Can I go back to my old job after I've already given my notice? Like things that are really of no consequence when I should really be focusing on my health. Um, but those are the things and I think naturally as a woman, you think about all the things you have to do, right? You haven't taken care of yourself or even the, still the things you have to do while facing such a, you know, huge challenge in your life. Probably the biggest challenge I've had in my life, um, you know, breast cancer. Wasn't, again, like I said, wasn't a thing that was really on my to-do list, on my radar list, or of any concern. I didn't think I'd get cancer. And here I am now sitting with being told I have cancer and what does that mean? You know, does that mean that I only have a short period of time to live? Um, you know, what is treatment going to look like? So I think life was flashing through my mind. And how am I going to tackle all of the things that I need to tackle? And I was going to ask that question. Um, I think, you know, anybody would think, wait, I'm starting a new job. So were you worried about how your benefits were going to work? What were they going to say? Um, and, and what was it like to go in and tell your job? 
that you're starting in a week that you're now going to have to have treatments for cancer, possibly surgery, whatever your treatment plan would look like. So very concerned about what does that mean for my job? You know, how much time are we talking? Because in my mind, I'm thinking I'm gonna, I have cancer. I'm going to have to have surgery right away, right? So I'm going to start a job on next Monday and have to tell them I now need to take a month or two off starting the following week. Am I going to have a job? I have no rapport, no brand built with that particular employer. Do I have, do I go back with my tail between my legs to my current employer and say I was just kidding about giving my, you know, resignation? Would they take me back or would would I put a target on my back if there were to be future layoffs? Keeping in mind, this is also going on during COVID, right? So, you know, total unknowns about whether or not there's security in people's jobs and, you know, how long is COVID going to take place and how are companies going to survive? And so, you know, and then also how do I broach this with my employer? Um, I'm fortunate that I was, I'm working directly for someone or was working for someone who I have a rapport and relationship with from a past employer who happened to now be my boss at my new employer. Um, And, but she was also just starting the job. So she didn't really know like how benefits started, how quickly would my benefits kick in? What is the flexibility? Because I also don't have any time built. So technically they don't have to give me FMLA to be able to take time out to go to doctor's appointments or to treatment, et cetera. Um, and so I think because I had a rapport built with my boss, it made that conversation a little bit easier to have. And she was willing to go and do a lot of the hard work for me to find out how quickly would my benefits kick in? What type of flexibility could I be offered based upon, you know, not the unknown. I don't know what my treatment plan is, right? I don't know if I'm, if and when I'm going to have surgery and how long is that, you know, time out going to look like, are they really truly going to be flexible with me? And I got very, very lucky um, that my employer was extremely flexible and continues to be very flexible with me and very much understanding of what I am going through and has provided a space in which if I am tired and just really can't keep it together for the day, have, have given me permission to log out and take care of me. Um, and so I also think for me, having a new job and something to focus on helped me through this process. I know it sounds odd, um, but it gave me something else to think about other than I have cancer, I'm going through these treatments, I'm not feeling well, I'm losing my hair, and just, you know, going through all the things of, you know, that comes with a cancer diagnosis. And what was your exact um, diagnosis? Like, I know there are different forms of breast cancer, and what was the prognosis that you were given? So I had stage two, HER2 positive um, breast cancer. So stage two just meant that it moved from my breast to another location. Um, and the HER2 positive, it's, it's hormone-based. So my it's a very aggressive can- cancer. It grows very, very quickly. But as my doctors have said, the good thing is they know how to treat it. Because it is hormone-based, they know exactly what to do to treat it. Um, and so... They laid out what my, you know, treatment plan was going to be, and they were very positive in feeling like they were going to be able to get me into remission. Um, And my surgeon and my oncologist work very closely together. Then I was, you know, 
as part of my treatment team, I had a radiologist that also works with my surgeon and oncologist. So I have a very good, strong um, medical team that is working very closely together and is affiliated with the same hospital. So they see what the other has prescribed and doing. And so their treatments have gone hand in hand, which has led me to um, currently being in remission um, as of March, at the beginning of March. So very fortunate and blessed there, but still going through treatment and will be going through treatment for the next 10 years. And yay, in remission. So yeah. glad about that. I was glad to be there to celebrate that with you. Um, yeah. But how does it feel knowing that, you know, even though you're in remission, you still have quite a bit of treatment left? And what what does that entail? Like, I guess a lot of times people think, oh, you're in remission, we're done. But uh, what does that entail and why the 10 years? So let's step back and kind of, you know, as I was going through my mind about I'm going to have to have surgery right away. Well, my journey started off with chemo first. So I had very aggressive chemo and that was six cycles. So I had, and a cycle is essentially one chemo session. Um, so I had six cycles and I would have a different, I'd have a cycle every three weeks. So just enough to get, get my body sick. And just as I started to get better again, I would be poisoning it again. Um, so six weeks of chemo that I did not do alone, my tribe made sure that one of them was with me for every cycle um, and to laugh with me and get things off my mind and really help me through that. So I, you know, I'm blessed in that fashion and friends calling me every Monday, Karen, um, to check in on me. Um, then Gotta get my Monday calling. Yep. <laughs> Then after that, I had surgery. So the, the whole point of having chemo first was to shrink my tumor um, so that they wouldn't have to take as much. And they were hoping that I would re- that the tumor would respond to the chemo um, so that I could hopefully be a candidate for a lumpectomy versus a mastectomy. Um, so the chemo did, the chemo, I'm sorry, the tumor did shrink significantly by the time surgery was in place, by the end of my six cycles. So I went forward with a lumpectomy. Um, I was out of pocket for two weeks and returned back to work and then started radiation because they wanted to make sure that they got all of the cancer cells, that, you know, removing the tumor and removing the two lymph nodes that had cancer in them as well, ensure that they didn't leave any cancer behind. So I did... um, Gosh, I can't even remember now. Through two months, about two months of radiation, five days a week um, for about 10, 15 minutes, if that. It took me longer to get to radiation and to get home than, in, than I spent at actual radiation. Um, and again, like I said, that was to make sure that they, you know, killed any cancer cells, any lagging cancer cells. And now I'm going specifically to the HER2 part of my treatment, which is still a chemo-like drug, but it doesn't have the same effects. Like it doesn't make me sick. I'm not losing my hair. My hair is growing back. Um, It does give me headaches. um, So I do take hydration during that. And that is 13 cycles of um, that particular treatment. So I'm about four more cycles left in that treatment plan, but then Mid, you know, starting about midway through, I started a hormone blocker because it is hormone based. They want to put me into menopause. So I'm being put into early menopause with a shot that shuts down my ovaries and hopefully my, you know, um, 
estrogen, but then also taking a pill to ensure that I am not producing estrogen so that I don't have my body start essentially fighting against itself and encouraging the cancer to return. So that'll be 10 years of that shot and um, pill um, placing me in premenopause. And then because 10 years, they feel I'm young, um, that then I will be naturally going into menopause in 10 years. And so that I can be removed off of the things that are putting me into early menopause. And I should just naturally go into menopause. Is the shot called Lupron? I am the awful person and I'm sorry that I'm not doing a great job of knowing what my treatment plan is. Girl, I think it's Lupron. And it oh my be, God, yeah. Lord Jesus. <laughs> I haven't experienced. So the funny thing is my oncologist is saying, you know, like we'll work with this. And if this, if we're seeing great changes in your personality, cause you're so sweet and we'll see that right away. <laughs> we'll try to make changes so far. So good. Knock on wood. I get more so cold flashes than I do hot flashes. I haven't seen my personality change. I haven't felt like I've had mood swings. Um, I don't feel like I'm gaining weight as of yet, but I do do need to need to make sure that I'm exercising. What I have noticed is that my joints stiffen up. So sitting too long, waking up in the morning, getting out of bed, I it takes me a little bit to get my joints warmed up and moving at a regular pace. And so I'm feeling like I'm moving kind of like I have arthritis initially. Um, and then once I said, like, once they get warmed up, I'm pretty good to go. But it takes a, a few minutes to get that going. Girl, I only asked because, um, as you know, and as most of the people who listen to this know, um, reproductive uh, organs, and I've had a lot of issues with that. And so Lupron is what they gave me to shrink my fibroids before I had those removed. Mm-hmm. Um, and girl, the hot flashes were real. I wish I had had cold flashes. Oh my Lord. Like they start at your neck and go up and your whole face feels like it's on fire. And you're looking around because you're like, y'all ain't hot. <laughs> like I get a straight attitude. Y'all ain't hot. It's hot in here. They're like, no, honey, it's you. I'm like, no, it's hot. What's wrong with y'all? <laughs> it's, oh, it's the worst ever. Sorry, I digress. But I was just like, what in the world is this? That's why I was wondering, because it's a shot that I would have to get every month. Um, I've been on it a couple of times before he removed the fibroids. I was like, girl, I could commiserate with you if that's what you own. But I would have prayed for a cold flash. Let me just tell you. Yep, cold flash. So I'm good right now. And I'm, you know, my doctor's like, well, you could do it. I'm like, nope, I'm okay with a cold flash. <laughs> I know, right? See, you can handle a cold flash better. That heat, oh, it's not a good thing. Anyway, anyway, this is not about me. So what was it like? What was it like the first time? you had to tell someone or you had to say out loud, I have cancer? I think it's hard because every time I say it, or even every time I go to a different stage of my treatment plan, it just, it solidifies that I am truly a cancer, you know, I'm a survivor, but I have, I, I had cancer, um, you know, in that I was sick or I am sick. And although I may not look sick from the onset, I may not feel sick, but I am, you know, I'm carrying something that is going to cause me to be sick um, that could, if not taken care of early enough and in the right form and fashion, create, you know, long lasting damage to death. Um, I think one of the blessings of having breast cancer and again, having her two positive breast cancer is the fact that there is so much research 
that is being done on this particular cancer, that the survival rates are, you know, high for individuals if caught early. Uh, but, and I, you know, I'm fortunate, I have very good health care. I have access to really great medical care who is very much um, engaged in my treatment plan. But there are other, you know, women of color who don't have access to the same health care or, you know, health insurance and have the ability, because um, this is very expensive. I t- you take a look at my health insurance bill and I see what, and, you know, what the hospital wants to charge for the treatment what my insurance has negotiated and what they pay and what I'm paying out of pocket. If I didn't have health insurance, I wouldn't be able to do this treatment, any of my treatments. Um, Each time that I go for um, my chemo treatment, they're billing my insurance company about 60 to $80,000. So, you know, it's just- I don't think people realize that, you know, like, I don't think people realize what you just said. Like, I guess a lot of times we just assume everybody has coverage or if they don't, there's some place where they can get go, go and get assistance. But uh, we don't re- like $80,000. And that's what they're billing your insurance, right? And then insurance. you're paying stuff out of pocket as well. Right. And I, you know, it takes maybe one treatment for me to already reach my out of pocket <laughs> for the year. Um, so, you know, I'm fortunate I'm only paying, you know, maybe 10 or $40 for a doctor's visit, or I'm paying, I'm not even paying for my prescription drugs anymore because I've reached my out of pocket. Um, but, you know, there's also a lot of doctors that I'm seeing. There are, I get blood work done every three weeks before I go to treatment. Then I go to treatment. I get blood work done before I get my shot every month. Um, then I get my shot. Um, and I see the doctor a little less than I did when I was going through the initial chemo treatment. But, you know, those add up. And then the blood work gets sent to a lab and the lab for them to analyze, that's another bill. So, you know, there's a lot of doctors that are involved in my care or a lot of medical expenses that are involved in my care that, again, if I didn't have the insurance that I have, I don't, I know I would not be able to afford the care that I've been receiving. And I think it's just really um, scary to think what happens to women who don't. It's kind of like, well, we're just going to do what we have to do. And then that's it. You know what I mean? Um, That, you know, it it just kind of, you would think that at this point, this type of stuff would be just whatever you need to do. But no, you're right. A lot of it is predicated on what type of insurance you have. And even when you go to the doctor, you know, like we took my dad recently, he had a kidney stone and, you know, and I've had it happen to me. You're in the emergency room and you're in pain or you're there and here they have the person who comes by with the little computer and they want to know how you're going to pay. Immediately. <laughs> like, yeah. really? Immediately. This is what they're asking. Um, how are you going to pay? And what, like, seriously, I'm in pain. I'm, I'm here for some reason. And you want me to stop and, and talk to you about how I'm going to pay. So, um, it's and that sad that, care, the level of care, how can right. they see you? So if you have insurance, there you know you get to the top of the line, right? But if you didn't have insurance, they'd still see you. But is there a sense of urgency in which to see you? Right. Yeah. I, I just don't think we we think about that um, and what that means for people who don't have access to what a lot of us are blessed to have. Um, but I did want to ask you after you found out, you mentioned that you had plans, like we all do, right? We got goals, we got plans, we got dreams. So. How was that for you? We do. So how was it for you to 
uh, deal with this and and still stay upbeat and go forward. I'm still going to like like I, you, you decided to buy your house and just keep moving forward. How hard was that to do facing this? It was extremely hard. Um, I had been a few months earlier talking with a fertility doctor around IVF. Um, my employer provides fertility drug treatment, so um, coverage. And so I was already talking to a specialist about that. Um, the diagnosis of breast cancer, the doctor quickly told me, if this is what, if you want to have children, I will give you a couple of weeks in which to go ahead and have egg, you know, retrieval. Um, I had just been told by the fertility doctor, though, that I had missed my window due to my age, where they would feel that my eggs were viable. So now knowing, one, I can't use my own eggs, but two, I also can't use my womb. So even if I wanted to go and purchase someone else's eggs, I can't use my womb in which to carry a child. So now, in some instances, and depending on how I envision how I wanted to create my family, that dream has been gone, right? For me to naturally be able to carry a child, um, that dream is now gone. Then I also thought, and still thinking, and still wanting to pursue adoption, but what are my chances while having cancer, not while I'm in remission now, but being diagnosed with cancer that I would be eligible and be seen as a viable parent for adoption? And in, in, in that also, am I being unfair to a child who has already had so much trauma in their life to then bring them into my world only to now be, you know, to be sick and may not be here? So that was going through my mind. Um, I wanted to like, you know, build a home. Do I do that again, not knowing how much this is going to cost me to take care of myself? How long am I going to be sick? Should I not be really focused on my health versus trying to buy a home? I mean, I wasn't just looking to buy a home. I was looking to build a home. And does that make sense for me to do that? Um, but I decided I wanted to go ahead and move forward with that because I needed something to look forward to. And also something to distract me, right? This was going to be my present at the end of all of this. Um, and then also the new job. The new job was going to place me in a promotional opportunity where I was taking a step up. I was going to be a leader in this organization. It was going to open up a few more doors for me financially as well as professionally. What does that look like? How do I brand myself quickly? While I'm also going to be going through these treatments, how do I make sure that my performance doesn't get hindered by what I'm facing in my personal life? And when do I tell people, right? I may, I'm a pretty private person in some instances, but now I have to, they're going to physically see changes in me and they're going to watch me get sick and they don't know who I am from Adam. Like I have no relationship with these individuals. So what do I do? You know, what does that do? What do I do with that? And then being single, how do I rely, do I rely on my mom who's not in the best of health, but she's definitely still gets around and could she, she could help me. Do I, you know, how much can I lean on my friends to help me through this? How much do I need to do on my own? Um, you know, and so all of this is just going through my mind and constantly still goes through my mind um, because it's still, I get a constant reminder. If it's not daily, it's at least every three weeks when I'm going to treatment, right? Um, or it's every month when I go and get my shot. There is a constant reminder of 
things that I've had to change on how I'm going to achieve or change whether or not that is a goal that I can achieve, period, um, because of my cancer diagnosis. And I think a lot of women struggle with that, right? Um, and I don't know how you deal with it. I know, you know, obviously I have not um, been sick with cancer, but I have a special needs child. And a lot of times I feel like, you know, nobody wants to hear me complain again about, you know, as much as people say, we're here for you, because, you know, we've all told you that. Um, but, you know, why? why I'm, I'm curious, why do you think that is, especially I think it is for women where, you know, I still feel like, and I know you feel this, that you're feeling the same way. It's like, I don't want to burden people. I don't want to be the one that's always calling because this is happening or that is happening. And And what have you done to try to get past that? I think... I try to make sure that I am checking in on my friends just as much as they're checking in on me. Um, and we all have our seasons of when we need, you know, people, right? <laughs> and so maybe this is just my season or that was just my season. Um, I think I had to humble myself and um, call your sister to come over to put lotion on my back because I had a radiation burn and my back was driving me crazy. It was itching so much. And so just realizing that I have to be able to recognize and lean on people. And if they really don't mean what they say, it'll quickly show. Um, I think we as women take on, we carry so much already and we feel like we're supposed to be strong for everybody. And sometimes, and that we need to be strong for ourselves, but need to recognize that it's okay to not be strong all the time and lean on people or, you know, lean on the wall. That's what, you know, people can sometimes be our wall. And sometimes we need to lean on it just to take a rest for a minute. Now, if we're constantly leaning on them, you know, and not giving anything in return, then that's a problem. But I think, you know, it's okay to lean on, you know, lean on your friends when you need them. And you'll know which ones to lean on because those are the ones that will show up even when you haven't asked. They will just show up at your door. They will just, you know, make it make a, a, a reason to stop by um, just to check on you, even if you haven't called them. Um, and so you'll you, you know when it's okay to lean or ask and whatever. Like I said, I had to humble myself to call your sister. Can you come over and put some lotion on my back? Um, who wants to do that, right? <laughs> who wants to call and have someone do that? And who, you know, and I'm sure she wasn't sure what she was going to see, um, you know, how badly burned is her back? Am I going to even, you know, want to see that? Um, but I've been very blessed with my tribe near and far. I didn't realize the number of people that were willing to reach out and, you know, send things and thought about things I didn't even think about and shared their own personal journeys and really wanted to take a moment to help me out. And I definitely hope that I, you know, pay it forward um, for the, you know, for someone else in my tribe. You know, and as you were speaking, it reminded me of that um, saying that phrase from Maya Angelou, you know, when people show you who they are, believe them, right? So you find out very quickly when you're going through something like that, who are the people who just said, oh, yes, girl, whenever, you whatever, because everybody else was saying it. Mm-hmm. And who were the people who really meant that? Um, and I think in times like these, you find out who your real friends are. Um, Amen. You do. Unfortunately, you but you do. you do. Yeah, you really do find out who they are. So what advice would you give to somebody who, listening to this who just got uh, a cancer diagnosis, whether it's breast cancer or any kind? 
I think it is okay to feel how you're feeling whenever you are feeling it. Go through your journey. Your journey is your journey. The way I handle it, handle my journey is, you know, may not be for everybody. Um, but feel how you're feeling and it's okay. It is okay to cry. It's okay to scream. It's okay to laugh. It's okay to sit quiet. It's okay to be talkative. Um, I think too, make sure everyone needs to make sure they're getting their mammograms. Don't put it off, you know, do your self exams on a monthly basis and do your annual mammogram because this is curable. If caught early, this is curable. This is something that we, you know, you can survive from. Um, treatments are getting better and better. I think about when my mom was diagnosed and like I said, two-time breast cancer survivor. Um, her treatment was completely different than my treatment. Her cancer was different than my cancer. The way she handled it was different than the way I handled it. Um, the way she tolerated her treatment was different than the way I tolerate it. Um, but read, ask questions. It is your care. So if you don't care for the way the doctor is speaking to you, if you don't care for the way the treatment plan is going, you speak up. It, you know, my mom had to remind me, it is the practice of medicine. The word being practice. They don't really know definitively what to do. You need to play an active part. What they're taking studies and seeing that, you know, this has been the typical path and this is the typical treatment, but it may not be right for you. So it is okay to ask questions. It is okay to stop them and ask them to speak to you, you know, in layman's terms. It's okay to do your own research. It's okay to get a second opinion. I know it feels like it's going so fast and things are swirling around you and you want to go ahead and tackle it right away. That's kind of how I wanted to do it too. I want to tackle it right away, but you can slow down and go and get a second opinion if that is what you're sensing is what you need for you. But be active, take an active, be an active participant in your care. And that is, I think that's really great advice because I do think sometimes we just feel like, well, they're the doctors, they know. Um, but, you know, you can go to somebody else who may say, well, we can really do it this way. Um, and there's nothing wrong with seeking that second opinion. I, I think that's really great advice. Um, I did want to ask, um, what has been the hardest part of this journey for you so far? I think the hardest part, I make such a big deal of the unknown. So every time the doctor is getting ready to take me to the next step in my in my um, treatment plan, I get very, very upset. Um, and they can see it. And so they start, they back off or they, you know, they give me the breathing room, but it's really just the fear of the unknown. Um, and with each treatment, I have come out the other side okay. Um, so I think for me, it's just being able to embrace this journey um, and recognize that I can do as much preparation as I can. I can't be in full control. I think I'm somewhat of a control freak, I've discovered through this. And so that fear of the unknown and that I can't control what's going to happen has been the scary part. I think also the the need to adjust my dreams, right? Um, I thought I had so much time. Um, when we talked about this before, during another discussion around fertility. Um, and so I have to recognize that that particular ship in that way of being able to carry a child has sailed for me and I need to embrace with the next way in which I can start my family and go ahead um, and recognize that time is not plentiful for anyone. 
Um, so I need to embrace each day to the fullest and, you know, only get worked up over things that I can control and those things I can't control, let you know, let it roll off my back. So you've bought your house and you have uh, conquered cancer, you're in remission. What is next for you? Um, I would like to think that next for me is parenthood. So I have been exploring adoption through agencies as well as private adoption. So taking a look at that. Um, also getting settled into my new house. I you know, really want to make sure that it's a place that I feel comfortable and people feel welcomed um, and that I'm paying it forward so that I'm you know, really making sure that I continue doing the things that feed my soul. I've always, you know, hosted past for five, six years as part of, you know, our Zumba community, hosted a um, party in pink to raise, you know, money for breast cancer awareness. So, you know, doing things like this and just reminding people um, to get their, you know, do their self breast exams and get a mammogram, but also making sure that I'm being as good as a friend as the friends that I've had through my journey. Well, if you decide to adopt, you know, TT will uh, babysit. I I love a baby. (laughs) Yes, I do. I do not want to raise anymore, but I love a baby. I'll spoil them and watch them while you're at work or wherever and send them right on back to you, a hot mess. (laughs) Like, I can't send you over there with your TT. You come back with all kinds. Especially when they get older, girl, I send them with the toys that make all the noise. (laughs) It just feeds my soul to do it. (laughs) You tell me they can leave that at TT's house. So they have oh, at TT's. no, no, no. We do both. Girl, no, we do both. Girl, the last time I got some was here. I sent that boy home with this Batman contraption that changed from a ship to something else. And it had darts and lights. And his mama was like, mm-hmm. are you for real? Send it right on home with the little fella. Showed it. <laughs> <laughs> it just feeds my little soul. They were so mad. The baby is excited. His right. mama was hot. <laughs> So TT will be here to spoil. I know. And I am going to definitely depend on my village, my tribe again, um, just for different reasons to get their advice, spoiling of the baby and whatnot. So looking forward to it. Well, I am too, because, you know, I have my niece now. I got a little baby in my life, but it had been a minute since I had a baby in my life. So I'm ready. Okay. I'm ready. <laughs> I know this is your life, but I'm just saying I'm ready. You're ready. <laughs> now that I know you're ready, I can go ahead and pull the trigger. You can move on because now Karen is ready. Yeah. That's what you were waiting to know. That it was. How did you know? Girl, I know you so well. <laughs> well, Tim, I just want to thank you for taking this time out. Um, I did not want the month to pass without us having this conversation because I think that it will help somebody who is going through this journey, maybe at the beginning point, maybe they're feeling like, hey, why should I make plans for the future? Um, And just to know, I'm so proud of you to know that you just went forward, you had the house built. Um, It's a nice house, y'all. Maybe she'll let me put a picture when I um, promote this episode anyway. Um, (laughs) But, you know, you went forward with that. You're moving forward with what you want to do to be a mom. And I just think it's important for people to hear that. It doesn't have to be this, oh my God, my life is over. Um, and I'm just so proud of what you've been able to do and how you were able to move forward. I know you probably had days that were really dark and you may have cried and we didn't see it, Yeah. but you picked yourself up and you were able to keep it moving. So I love you so much. And I am so grateful that you were comfortable enough to talk to me about this. Um, so that's all the time we have for today, but as usual, if there's anything you want us to talk about on in my shoes, you can hit me up at KDT and in my shoes today.com. That is KDT. 
at InMyShoesToday.com. And until our next discussion, get those mammograms and be blessed. <laughs>